0: Okay, I'm gonna finish my dick fountain later.
1: It's Friday, May 24th, 2018, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Aspiring Mayor of Wild Westland. And with me today is my fellow Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Kruletje hater, Gordon Derek and Paul Pater's Master Student and Belgian Twitter
0: expert. So Molly, why are you the uh, Aspiring Mayor of Wild Westland? What's that all about?
1: I, I am so annoyed with this podcast for not letting me do the entire discussion this week about how Delft has turned into, like, Brabant, because
0: <laughs> there has been... I feel like home.
1: It's yeah. I know, it's yeah. you've brought, well, it, well, you with brought it, it with you. you brought, you. It, I brought it with you. me, yeah. So they, the local papers has been referring to Delft as the Wild West um, because uh, there's been both a bombing and a shooting this week, or in the last, like, ten days or so, uh, both directed at a a coffee shop owned by the same person. There's some allegations that it has to do with... Uh, Rotterdam biker gangs Trying to move in On the cannabis industry Here in Delft And
0: there was also A Willem Hollader Like advertisement In the newspaper Yeah
1: there was this Totally crazy advertisement In Mm -hmm. the local newspaper We'll link to this In the liner notes Someone took out An advertisement In one of the local papers Referencing the like bombing and shootings with this like terrible photoshop job sort of <laughs> like what is being interpreted to be like a threat against the owner of these coffee shops so it's kind of a it's it's a, like a totally a cof- crazy story coffee
0: shop wars in in delft
1: paul why yeah. are you a belgian twitter expert
0: well i introduced you in the wonderful world of belgian twitter it's a
1: to- it's more insane than like the criminal activity going on in delft i know
0: i know first of all belgians write in their accent right they don't mm. write proper dutch they don't care about grammar and the correct spelling of words. So you have all these weird tweets like... In a shoko. Something like that. Which basically means I want chocolate milk. And then it gets... Three thousand retweets or something, and two hundred likes. So it's an insane amount of, of, of
1: yeah engagement. Yeah. It's because engagement, there's only eight yeah. people in Belgium, and yeah. like six of them are on Twitter, so yeah, they're, they're all, all just retweeting each other. each other a whole
0: lot. Yeah. yeah. So I introduced you in that wonderful world. It's a crazy, yeah. crazy world. Yeah.
1: Um. And and Gordon, you are a a Krilliche hater. No, so no. Do you want to tell us oh, about? Don't this. don't. don't, totally don't, this, don't, don't <laughs> this is not fake news. This we this have it in writing. Absolutely fake news. I've never.
2: Well, first of all, let's explain what we're talking about. So Krillitcheh is the little squiggle that um the 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 Used use to approve of something instead of a right. tick where, where regular people use a tick. I remember the first time I saw this on my children's homework. That the teacher had put all these little scrolls, these little ornate scrolls, which I, which I really like because they're very pretty. I don't I don't hate them at all. Yes. What I think is weird is the fact that you know, when you're filling in boxes uh, on forms, which you're endlessly doing if you live in the Netherlands, <laughs> um, you have to put a cross instead of a tick. That really threw me because in Britain you always tick boxes. Yeah, so I had to adjust yeah. from ticking to crossing.
1: But Paul, do you know why this has become like... Because Niels also messaged me this earlier this week. It was like, I... Does, is this not a worldwide thing? And I was like, no. But it, did it come from somewhere? Or? Well, I
0: just saw it on Twitter. Oh, okay. And someone said, this is a shocking revelation for me that acrylic is uh, apparently something that's only done in the Netherlands. Yeah. And then I looked up the Wikipedia page and it specifically, there's an English Wikipedia page for it. Yeah. And right. it specifically said that uh, it's only a Dutch thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, probably derived from, from from a G that's uh, that's written very fast. Yeah. So G and then you, you get the scribble. So G for goed. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Of gezien. Yeah. Something oh, as like well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Paul, the listeners want to know, we actually got email about this this week. Uh
0: what is the OPEF of the week? Well there was several there was not much OPEF, but there was good OPEF. Yeah. Uh, there was good there quality OPEF. Really good op-hef. Op-hef. good yeah. quality OPEF. I think the first Ophef uh, it, it didn't make to the list, but I want to mention it, is that it turns out that Cherry which we all thought never shows up in Parliament, isn't the one that's uh, the most absent in uh, in the Tweede Kamer. Apparently, it's Marianne Thieme. She yeah. only showed up five times, and Thierry Boudet almost 40 times. Wow. So, is it
1: because they don't serve any vegan food in the uh, cafeteria? <laughs> they,
0: they do. She, uh, Because of her, they do. Oh. Um, so what's our real uphef of the week? Our real op-half is, uh, involves um, some whipped cream, Uh, some striptease and some um, nursery schools. Oh my god. This
1: is going to be I'm putting it down now this is going to be my favourite story of the year I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it certainly set the bar very high. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there was uh, a celebration of a staff member on a nursery school in Utrecht and they thought it was appropriate to have one staff member do a striptease act for another staff member while the nursery was open. Yeah, this was was like
1: like 10 a.m. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. the
2: children were in the nursery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: The act was uh, yeah also involved licking whipped cream of one female employees pressed. Uh, the Community Health Service, GGD, wrote a report condemning the incident after they received an anonymous tip, but the nursery said the commotion is exaggerated and they decided to sue the GGD to force them to ad- to identify the whistleblower, which is, of course, totally not an exaggeration. And I'm al- also wondering, how do they expect the GGD to disclose the identity of an anonymous wi- whistleblower?
1: I have some personal all-path related directly to the story, because my boyfriend's family, I mean, he's from Utrecht. So I sent this in our family WhatsApp group, sort of making a joke about like people in Utrecht <laughs> not being able to raise their children properly. Yeah. And my father-in-law replies, "I don't see what the
0: problem is." <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that is telling about the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. child rearing norms in yeah, Utrecht. It probably was. As, it was probably a fun, spontaneous thing. And indeed, no, no children saw it. But I mean,
1: yeah, it's just it's, it's, a, it's, it's a school. Bad
0: it's not an appropriate time or place or yeah. so.
2: The missile which shot down flight MH17 from Amsterdam to Malaysia four years ago was transported to Ukraine and fired by the 53rd Brigade of the Russian Army based in Kursk. That's the conclusion of the latest report by the Joint Investigation Team, which was presented at a press conference on Thursday. It's the first time that the investigators have explicitly blamed Russia for shooting down the plane as it flew over eastern Ukraine during the Civil War. The head of the Dutch Prosecution Service, Fred Vesterbaker, said the investigation was entering its final stages and was now trying to identify the individuals who were responsible for the decision to fire the missile. Prime Minister Mark Rutte has cut short a visit to India to fly home and chair a ministerial council meeting on Friday to discuss what to do next. And King Willem-Alexander, during a state visit to Luxembourg, said his thoughts were with the victims and described the tragedy as an open wound in our society.
1: So what does, uh, what does Putin have to say about all this, Gordon?
2: Yes, uh, Russia continues to deny all responsibility for shooting down the plane, and it blames Ukraine. Um, but the problem here is that uh, yesterday's report contained a large amount of very detailed evidence which showed how the missile was first put onto a transporter from Kursk and then taken across the border into Ukraine. And you can even see the serial numbers on the missile that shows not just that it came from the Russian army, but actually identifies which regiment was responsible.
1: This is a pretty impressive investigative capabilities, I think, yeah. considering the hostilities and the Ongoing war in the area Exactly, you see and and all this kinds of stuff. Yeah, like, props to the Dutch, man. This is a good, uh, I'm impressed with this. No,
2: absolutely, it's a very thorough investigation, and they've taken, you know, that they haven't uh, felt hurried or pressured. They've just methodically and systematically gone on with it, and they've yeah. amassed this body of, uh, you know, video evidence, and you see sort of clips of the. Um, The the missile being transported is very, very comprehensive. Um, But the the Russian Defense Ministry has claimed the pictures were manipulated and unreliable. It says it has proof that Ukrainian fighters uh, are, in fact, the people who fire the missile. But they haven't come up with very much evidence to to substantiate that. But in general, the Russian response uh, yesterday was a lot more restrained than it's been on previous occasions. And uh, Vladimir Putin gave a press conference uh, where he did um, complain that the Russians hadn't been uh, involved in the investigation and that uh, uh, Ukraine had violated international law by not closing its airspace, but he didn't go into, into the conspiracy theories or go on a sort of big counter-offensive, which is what we've seen him do in the past. So that may indicate, or certainly indicates to me, that uh, Putin realises that uh, you know that the time for that kind of grandstanding has passed that he's, that, that he's got into and that this investigation has potentially very
0: serious ramifications. So uh, what is going uh, to happen now?
2: Well, now the Joint Investigation Team uh, is carrying on uh, its work and it says it's narrowed its list of suspects down to around 20. Um, the victims' families have called on the Dutch government to take action, either by making a rep- presentations at the UN Security Council or by imposing unilateral sanctions. The Foreign Affairs Minister, Steph Block, uh, is expected to call a meeting of the UN to discuss what the international community can do to put pressure on Russia to uh, cooperate. But the problem, of course, is that Russia has a veto on the Security Council and also that Russian law specifically prohibits the extradition of its own citizens to be tried in foreign courts. So the big question is, even if they can actually identify
0: who's responsible, will they ever be able to put them on trial? Yes, and as we are recording this, there is uh, some uh, some breaking news. Uh,
2: at a cabinet meeting uh, this morning, Friday morning, um, the, the the uh, Netherlands and Australia have issued a joint statement. Uh, Australia is also one of the countries on the joint investigation team, uh, where they have said that Russia is uh, responsible for, uh, for its role in bringing down uh, Flight mh 17.
0: The Netherlands is richer and wealthier than it thought, partly because of the illegal marijuana industry. National Statistics Bureau CBS recalculated the size of the country's gross domestic product of 2015, and they now say it's 6.6 billion euro higher than expected, an increase of 1% to 690 billion euro. The figure includes an estimate of the amount of money generated by illegal economic activities, such as the production of marijuana.
1: Paul, how do they even estimate what the size of the illegal economy is?
0: Well, it's not easy to make an accurate estimation because uh, even less than everyday politicians, criminals don't save all their <laughs> <laughs> Um So rather than using data from uh, the tax office, CBS has to make an estimation based on information given by the police. And uh, initially, the police thought they confiscated 40% of all marijuana produced in the Netherlands in 2015 but they downgraded this number to 20%, meaning that the CBS had to uh, adjust their estimation as well. Uh, now they estimate that the size of the shadow economy, as it's called, is not 2.5 but 4.8 billion euros.
2: Right. So, but, but this upward revision in the size of the economy is a bit of a kind of false economy, isn't it really? Because uh, although this uh, money is being um, generated, none of it is actually being taxed
0: because it's illegal. Yes, but should... apparently you have to calculate this uh, yes. in, your, in the calculations of your gross domestic product.
2: Yes, because that's under the European Union rules. And that, that, that means that of course the Dutch could get in trouble with the EU now, right?
0: Yes, unfortunately, it could mean that the Netherlands now has to pay uh, more money to the European Union because the amount of contribution of member states is based on uh, their economic size. Yeah, So it's a very ironic thing that yeah. uh, the Netherlands is going to have to pay more <laughs> uh, to the EU because of the marijuana uh, industry. So about... if you're listening, stop smoking weed. <laughs> they should put that on the side of the bus.
2: Yeah, they should put it on the side of the bus and point out that, uh, you, that your country ought to pay more taxes to Brussels as a result of uh, yes. people smoking weed.
1: Maybe we can pay our taxes in marijuana. Yeah. Has anyone tried this?
2: Yeah, or 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 just give, give a whole load of marijuana to Brussels, and right? Then, yeah. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> no, instead, instead of the, money, it yeah. would make
1: Belgium <laughs> a lot more pleasant <laughs> to be in I think.
2: Yeah, for <laughs> the people
0: there yeah. and for us. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, and then uh, and then it, and then it'll just chill out
0: about the whole kind of, <laughs> the whole thing yeah, and the, the terrible state of that country. <laughs>
1: A quartet of progressive and left-wing parties have signed a coalition deal to run Amsterdam City Council for the next four years. Groenlinks, which emerged from the elections as the biggest party in the capital, is teaming up with De Sessesteg, Labour, and the Socialist Party. Opponents were quick to point out that all three minor parties lost seats in March, including De Sessesteg, who were previously the main party on the council. The new council wants to build more houses, dramatically step up the pace of renewable energy, tackle inequality, and curb the spread of tourism. It's paying for it by raising taxes for residents and businesses, but particularly tourist rates and parking charges, which are going up to seven and a half euros an hour. Ruter Groot-Vassink, leader of the city's party group, said the plan was ambitious and would make the city more sustainable, more honest, and more democratic. We'll be taking a look at the progress of the local election talks in next week's discussion podcast.
0: And uh, Amsterdam is also having trouble finding a new mayor.
1: Yes, because the Netherlands refuses to uh, learn how to elect mayors. (laughs) The city's administration has been led by acting mayor, Josias von Artsen, since the death of Eberhard von der Lahn from cancer in October. Uh, 29 people have applied to take over the job full-time, but the applications process was reopened this week because of a lack of suitable candidates. Only four have previously worked in a public function. The selection panel says they still hope to be able to announce the new mayor before the summer recess.
2: And what uh, qualities are the selection committee looking for in the future mayor?
1: Apparently somebody that's previously worked in government, (laughs) unlike 25 of the 29 candidates. Yeah, they say they want someone who has lots of management experience and a sense of humor, who can oh, express it's... their vision clearly. <laughs>
0: they specifically want someone with a sense, sense of, of humor.
1: humor yeah. yeah. Uh, they must also be open to society, keen to bridge the gaps between politicians and ordinary people, and a quick thinker.
0: A soldier from the Eighty Years' War was reburied with full military honors nearly four centuries after he died in the siege of Breda. A number of coincidental discoveries led to the grave of Schelter van Eismar in the village church of Schettens in Friesland. Despite rising to the rank of colonel, the aristocratic van Eisma was mostly forgotten after his death in 1637. His battle helmet, which hanged in the Schettens church, was his only visible memorial. The helmet sparked the interest of Jeroen Punt, curator of the National Military Museum, who saw a photo of it online and concluded that the helmet is only one of its type still in existence. Local archaeologists later located von Eismar's gravestone and his partially collapsed crypt, and after he was identified, the Ministry of Defense immediately announced Colonel von Eismar would receive a ceremonial reburial with full military honours. Von Eisma's coffin was transported on a gun carriage. Two trumpeters and four drummers joined the procession, as well as 73 year old Franz Lauter von Eisma, a direct descendant of the Golden Age battlefield commander. The National Military Museum will soon have an exhibition dedicated to Von Eisma's life, including his helmet and a facial reconstruction based on his skull.
1: What was the 80 Years' War, Paul?
0: It was um, uh, the War of Independence of the Netherlands from the Kingdom of Spain. Okay. It was basically a war because of uh, because the Netherlands demanded freedom of religion. Uh, the King of Spain didn't want to give it to them, so they fought a war over it. And eight years later, they won. They, they won. won. Yeah.
1: So if the guy died in the siege of Breda, why was he buried in Friesland?
0: He lived. He, he, uh, okay. Yeah, that's where they he came returned from. his body to yeah. to where it yeah. came from. Exactly. To his uh, to his family crypt. Yeah.
2: yeah. So he was quite a, I mean he was, a, he was from a noble family, so he was obviously quite a big deal in his own time, but then he sort of seemed to have been forgotten over the centuries. Yeah, because
0: mm. the noble family uh, originally they, they lived in that uh, Frisian uh, village or town, but they moved mm. away they moved somewhere else, I think to Appledorn and uh, well, they didn't take their, their dead bodies with them. so no. uh, that's why they uh, they were forgotten.
2: Only one place to begin this week's sports roundup, and that was in Rotterdam where two dicks were doing battle. On the one side was Dick Lukin, the manager of FC Emmen, who was trying to take his club from Drenthe into the Eredivisie for the first time in their history. And standing on the opposite touchline, was a Dick of more um, Napoleonic stature.
1: Dick Lawyer! We've Advo- got to do another <laughs>
2: Dick Lawyer podcast! <laughs> we we to, this is, I think this is Dick Lawyer's eighth consecutive cameo appearance in our podcast. So well done to him. It's the best. We just yes. insert him into this podcast every week. <laughs> but he's always he always manages to get into the sports news somehow. Six months after becoming the most successful national team manager in Norway's history, Dick Advocat was trying to save Sparta Rotterdam from descending into the Júpula League in the playoff final against Emmen. The Omens looked good when Sparta ground out a 0-0 draw in Emmen, and even better when Stein Speerings put the home side ahead at hutt Castile in the 28th minute of the second leg. Uh, but Emmen equalised to Michael Chacon 10 minutes later, and in the second half, goals from Anko Janssen and Caspators sealed a famous victory. As in the first game, Sparta had a claim for a penalty turned down by the video referee and their misery was compounded when Kenneth Dougal was sent off near the end for a two-footed tackle. Now, I haven't checked, but I think Advoca might be the first man ever to manage a Dutch national team and lead a club to relegation in the same season. He's Leave. breaking records uh... <laughs> left, right and centre. Yeah. Leave yeah. it
0: to Dick Lawyer. Leave it to Dick Lawyer, yeah. But going to another sport, is Tom Dumoulin still paddling around in Italy? Uh,
2: yes, uh, Dumoulin is, of course, defending uh, his Giro d'Italia title. It looked like it was uh, all over last week when Britain Simon Yates built up a two-minute lead ahead of the time trial, um, which is, of course, Dumoulin's speciality on Tuesday. Uh, Dumoulin was, uh, did cut the deficit by only to about 58 seconds. Um, however, on Thursday's mountain stage, Yates fell out of the l- group of leading riders on the final Climb, in fact, in the final kilometre of the stage, and Dumoulin was able to capitalise and claw back 30 seconds to leave the race on a knife edge with three stages left, starting with today's 184 kilometre ride to Bardonecchia.
0: Well, good luck to him.
2: Good luck <laughs> to him. <laughs>
1: One city in Friesland has chosen an interesting avenue for protest. They built a fountain comprised of 230 penises. The town, Volkham, and the artist, Hank de Boer, were annoyed that as part of the European capital of culture, the 11 Elfstetetok cities of Friesland were able to each get a new fountain, all designed and built by internationally renowned sculptors, none of which were Fries. So de Boer and others decided to commission a fountain of their own to showcase the local talent. The fountain was built around a public toilet, which uh, sprays when the toilet is flushed.
0: Oh, that's a very interesting uh, concept. Yes. Mm. Uh, but speaking of the 11 other fountains in Friesland, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I th- I thought it was kind of a cool project. There's kind of like s- there's some that are like sort of questionably ugly, but I think some of kind of I them think 11 cool.
0: of them are questionably <laughs> ugly. Really?
1: I think th- I like the faces one.
0: Oh, the faces one is the nicest, yeah. The jab, but the giant is... fish?
1: The giant fish is a little disconcerting. The frogs I'm also not a huge fan of.
0: And uh, also Friesland is um, I think it was the lonely planet one of the uh, three mm. uh, places where you should go. Um, yeah, one, yeah of one, one of the most underrated places to oh, yeah. visit in Europe. Yeah, but that, yeah. Uh, they only wrote this piece uh, uh, before, before they uh, the yeah, but before, before they were they aware of the, the, the penis fountains. fountains. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the yeah, penis yeah. fountains will probably boost
2: visitor numbers uh, no end.
1: Yeah, we will link to there was an article in the Guardian about the uh, the f- the penis fountain controversy. We'll link to that, but somehow the Guardian article has no photos of the penis fountain itself. There's an Odd Day mm. article that does have some nice uh images, so we'll we'll link to that as well if our listeners are interested in seeing the fountains and judging their (laughs) artistic merits for themselves. How many penises were it is? 230. Wow. Yeah. We will be discussing all of the money your employer keeps during the year and pays out to you in May after this word from our sponsors.
2: For over 30 years, Access has been helping internationals settle in the Netherlands. Access is staffed by an all-volunteer team, themselves internationals, who know firsthand about the challenges of settling in a new country. They can answer your questions or guide you to the right resources and they also offer an on-call counselling service. You can find out more about Access on their recently updated website access-nl.org by emailing the helpdesk at helpdesk at access-nl.org or by dropping into one of their expat centres in The Hague, Utrecht, Amsterdam or Leiden.
1: It's that time of year when your employer pays you back the interest-free loan you've been giving them for the last 12 months, just ahead of the summer holiday period. Since it seems everyone else is discussing what they are going to do with their money, we thought we would talk about what we're going to do with ours.
0: So, why are you disparaging vakantiegeld? First of all, what is it?
1: It's an insane system. That is why I'm disparaging it. Ah. So, according to the VET Minimum Loan and Minimum vakantie bijslag or Minimum Wage and Minimum Holiday Allowance Act uh, passed in 1969. (laughs) Employers are obliged to set aside a certain percentage of your pay. Currently, it's 8% to pay you in a single payment just before the summer. Um, It's basically a paternalistic system which makes your employer safe for you with the idea that going on summer vacation is good and you can't be trusted to save for it yourself.
0: Yeah, that was the initial idea.
1: Yeah, that was the initial idea that the government really wanted to encourage people to go on a summer holiday that they said going on holiday, taking a break is a good thing. So it's
2: what the British tabloids would call a nanny. State measure. Yeah, it's, a nanny state, state yeah, measure. it's yeah. a nanny yeah, state nanny nanny state nanny measure. Yeah, it's very nanny state-ish. Yeah.
1: So yeah, that's that's where we are now. When it was first introduced in 1969, it was six percent. Now it's been it's yeah. been eventually raised to eight yeah. percent. So, so I
0: always thought it was just a bonus of eight percent of your regular payment. It
1: is not a bonus. This is a lie. It is just eight percent of your regular yearly salary. So if you make 10,000 euros per year. The company you work for will take 800 of that, set it aside, and divide up the remaining 9,200 euros over 12 months. Then they just give you the 800 back in May or June.
2: Yeah, but on the other hand, it is a kind of feel-good moment, isn't it? The summer's approaching that you get this pile of money that you can then spend on going away somewhere nice.
1: Yeah, people are uh, generally, it turns out, very happy with the system. According to Nibud, the National Institute for Budget Information, polls show that only 10% of Dutch people would change the system, including my own lovely boyfriend. We had this discussion the Mm -hmm. other day, and I was... Enraged at this, (laughs) both paternalistic but also idiotic, because like your employer is just sitting on all this money. And he was just like not seeing my point of view and was basically seeing Gordon's point of view, which is like, oh, it's like magic. You just get like a big check in May or June, and it's like,
2: great. It's kind of nice. You know, I can see that it doesn't make much sense, and it's it is kind of like you say. Your employer gets to hold on to some a uh, load of money that they could otherwise pay you over the year. But I kind of uh, kind of like it. It's like sort of discovering you know some savings that you'd forgotten about, and then suddenly you turn up in your account. and You think, oh look, we've got some extra money to spend. That we yeah. Didn't we so
1: maybe on an individual level, I mean, you know, it's eight percent of your salary. So if you're making you know thirty thousand euros a year or something, you know, you're talking in the ballpark of you know what sixteen, eighteen hundred euros, right, that you get. But if you work for a big company and like. You have 10,000 employees and they're all setting aside. You're getting, you know, let's say 2,000 euros from all of these people. That's like a large pot of money that the employer is presumably, you know, at the bare minimum, putting into some sort of savings account on which they can earn interest. Or perhaps
2: your pension. Yeah. Alternatively. But probably not. Perhaps Um, that means there's more money for you when you retire. I can imagine that
0: there is regulation for that, that the companies are not allowed to use that. For any sorts of no, they can't use it. Or... In,
1: they can't use it for other stuff. No, but it it's
2: does just... feed into their general cash flow and right. Uh, yeah, turn... yeah,
1: and it just sort of sits there. And like yeah. any sort of interest and in whatever that they earn on this money, I mean, you know, they're not keeping it in the comp under the company bed in the company mattress, right? Like it's mm. at the very barest minimum, it is sitting in a bank where it is earning interest. So interest well, not, rates are well, kind well, of low, anything. but. Yeah you know, multi- for big multinational companies that are here, that's, you know, you got a lot of employees. It, it, it amounts to a lot of money. And you're not getting any of this interest. It's just the employer that gets to keep any of this stuff. So I just find it to be kind of like an absurd system. Um, and also, like, I'm, I'm a grown-up person who can save for my goddamn self, but apparently the rest of the Dutch population is not.
0: Okay, so we have this weird system in the Netherlands. We agree that it's weird, but it's also kind of nice. But do other countries have a similar system as well.
1: There's only one other country in the world, Paul, that has a similar system.
0: Only one other country. Uh, can we guess?
1: You do want to guess?
0: Uh, I think it's uh, Moldova. No. I think it's Belgium. It's Belgium. It is. It's Belgium. Nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, they uh, they have a they have a, a similar system. It's not not quite exactly the same. Theirs is a bit more sort of tax complicated. But yes, uh, as far as I could tell in my research, there is no other company in the world that mandate mandates. Oh, no, other that... no, the country.
0: Even. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask that. How is how is the vakantiegeld uh, taxed in the Netherlands?
1: T- it's just tax like no regular it's income yeah it's just part of your regular salary, yeah, yeah. your regular salary. Yeah.
2: but what do people actually spend uh, the money on this is the other thing because they don't really spend it on holidays which was the original idea
1: well you, know. you are the Dutch news podcast expert on this Gordon and I have heard that you are spending all of your vacancy held on escorts
2: well there are two points here firstly I'm not and secondly I don't get vacancy held <laughs> because I'm self-employed so <laughs> I don't have <laughs> we'll get to I don't that know, point except I do minute. have well, although you do get vacancy held is not just uh, on wages also on benefits right. because I get a widow parents allowance here I also get vacancy held on that. So, uh, so I've got an extra, and... a whole whopping great hundred euros yeah. for my account. Service. Yeah, which is not going on an escort. Although, <laughs> I was listening to a radio phone in this week about what people are going to spend their vacancy on, and one guy phoned in to say he's going to spend his vacancy on a trip to an escort.
1: Oh. okay.
2: So, and, and in all seriousness, you know, and then. I uh, guess <laughs>
1: supporting the escort economy. Exactly, I wonder yeah, if there's just... an uptick in escort usage during the concert. I think there could very there well be. be. Yeah, yeah there, there must be. The so spring yeah, is in the yeah, yeah, air, and, you yeah. know,
2: you've got a bit of extra money, in the problem, and you feel a bit flush with cash, so why not spend it? Yeah. On, on an escort, but I think what, was, what I loved about this conversation more than anything was that uh, the presenter then started asking questions of the guy, and he was asking what type of um, uh, prostitute are you going to go to. You know, are you going to go to a high class hooker or you know is that somebody sort of more moderately priced? The, the whole point being, he wasn't really interested in the fact that the guy was going to spend uh, on an escort. he was just trying to figure out how much the currency the guy was getting. Which uh, I thought was such oh, a Dutch way. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. very that Dutch thing. to do. <laughs> it's so, very yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so apparently, this people are this year people are actually spending their money more than saving it. So during the crisis, most people chose to save the money or to spend it to pay off bills. Um, this year there, there's more people actually spending their vacancy held on their vacancy, but it is second to the most popular place on which to spend your money, which is what I am doing with my money this year, spending it on a house. So home mm-hmm. renovation projects, house buying, that kind of stuff. A lot of, uh, yeah.
0: people's vacancy yes. held
1: is going towards and, that. And
0: and very conveniently, usually the, uh, the, all the, all the shops have their discounts. Um, um yeah. they start the discounts while everybody's getting their vacancy. Held. Yeah. yeah. So if you are going to buy a TV or something, always wait for the end of May.
2: Yeah. So becomes the becomes of health thing, really, the effect of it is it kind of encourages people to spend money, so it uh, circulates money in the economy. So surely it's a good thing.
0: Yeah, but that would would also be the case if you just got it every month. But it
2: wouldn't because people... aren't that As a matter of fact, by the way,
0: I'm not getting any vacancy held. I was just
1: about to ask. So (laughs) we've established that Gordon gets no vacancy held other than his little bit from his benefits. Uh, I got a normal, I guess, amount of vacancy held for my employed position that I hold, which has all gone directly to house related stuff. Paul, what is your vacancy held situation?
0: I just got it every month. They just split it in, in 12, and they just give it to me every month. Are they allowed to do that? They're allowed to do that, mm. yeah.
1: Wow, that's interesting. 20%. So what did you do during the month with your vacancy held?
0: I save it, Yeah. <laughs> and I uh, I never had the experience of, of getting vacancy held. So I don't know the sensation of getting uh, all this money at once uh, at once uh, uh, transferred on your bank account.
1: Um, This year, uh, vacancy held is
0: up. But so if I come to think of it, I think it would have been nicer to... Have this eight percent. Oh, this is month. so.
1: This is such a. Okay, I don't all know. All of you it, guys have it to just, go take an it econ just, class. No, like right I, now. I, I, I have I, I,
0: such a d- such a drab utilitarian attitude to money? It's
1: a nice love thing. To your employer, it's a terrible idea. Okay, I can
0: see your arguments, yeah. but it also it it feels like a bonus. Yeah, and that feeling makes the it nice. If you want the feeling
1: of that, then what you should do what banks should do what you should petition for banks to do right is like you get your salary and your bank account and they automatically save 8% and put it in like a special little like holiday thing as no, you can't thing. take okay, out but, until but May why, and then you at least get to earn your own interest on it but
0: why would I care that my that the company that I work for has an interest free loan of 8% of my salary why, because why would they're I care?
1: earning money because that is money that you could have in your pocket right now and I, you get, and then
0: you're getting just, it anyway yeah. so it doesn't matter for and me and you just
2: spend it on stupid small nondescript things you'd buy extra coffees at Starbucks but you would just fritter it? it away with this argument why doesn't your company just nice?
1: pay all of your bills yeah. for you and the government dictate how much money you should be saving and just live in a total communist nanny state in which you just let's just get a, get rid of currency altogether because, and the government should just give you a food parcel we everywhere. are
0: now not a 100% communist country we are 8% communist <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> it's, just, it's,
0: and not, it's a Goldilocks point in yeah. the communist spectrum
1: so according to ING Bank vacation money is up by five percent this year this was a kind of interesting thing that was in the uh the telegraph apparently this is due to two factors um uh, first more people have jobs than last year and second those jobs are paying more money so yeah. everybody is uh happy
0: yeah. one of the reasons why people don't spend uh, that vacancy geld on vacancy is that you have to book before uh, yeah f- f- uh, what is it december uh in order to get a nice uh, spot uh you know it's just exactly yeah. in the in the weeks you are it's free. actually too late to
2: book your holiday yeah, yeah. yeah. The end yeah. Of yeah. May. so they should see
0: so they should really give your vacancy geld in december yeah and then you and spend it on your holiday gifts, uh, rather yeah. Than, yeah, or on or your actual vacancy. But yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, very
1: interested, this would never ever happen. But I would be extremely interested in doing a randomized trial where people get their vacancy held in different months, and then you could see exactly like how much oh. then it goes towards different things like what people that would be if you, interesting. Yeah, right? if you got if you paid it out in January, I would guess that a lot more of that money goes to like bills or and or savings, mm-hmm. right? Because either people have like spent too much money at Christmas that they're trying to pay bake back for, or yeah. they've made some sort of like, I'm gonna be responsible with my money this year pledge, right? And if you pay it out in like I don't know November that people then burn it on like holiday gifts and like this kinds of stuff. So it's more consumer spending instead of like savings. Yeah.
0: It that's yeah that would probably be the case because you're just going to spend your money where wherever yeah, it's necessary. You're right? spending money as like exactly,
2: well, whatever's next well, the next thing that's coming up. But anyway. Yeah. So 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 we've kind of agreed or we we haven't really agreed. No, we don't, don't agree. I've, I've agreed. That do pull, not pull, 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 I do not agree. I do not agree. The men on the podcast have agreed. The only
1: person on the podcast with a degree in
2: economics agreed that this is a
1: dumb system. Well,
2: we agree it's a dumb system, but we also think it's a nice system. Yeah.
0: Macro-economically, yeah. it is a dumb system, yeah. but on but personal but given the, level, g- given it was nice.
2: economists who crashed the economy 10 years ago, I think we should stop listening to economists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah let's just yeah. stop yeah. listening
1: <laughs> to
0: economists. Stop reading The Economist. Yeah. I
1: mean, c- considering how long it takes freelancers to get paid, you do kind of get vacancy health. You do, Because really, I'm yeah. sure you wrote an article in October that you're just finally going to get paid for in May anyway, so it's kind of like vacancy health. Yeah, it works
2: the same way, really. yeah, yeah,
1: basically. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of... Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can now send comments, compliments, and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, you can subscribe to our podcast, give it a rating, and share it. My thanks to Paul Paters and Gordon Derrick. I'm Molly Quell. We'll be back next week.